You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you today for another interview episode. We're continuing, of course, our series of interviews with uh, actors, cast members, crew members, everything else in between. From the three main shows that we're covering on the Oz Network, of course, those being Third Watch, Nip Tuck and Lost. Today it's all about Third Watch and a huge pleasure to be able to bring this interview to you today. It's a big one. It's Guy Norman B, director of 13 episodes of Third Watch, but not just a director, a steady cam operator as well as a co-producer. So this guy, very much a big wig behind the scenes of Third Watch. And such a pleasure to be able to bring this interview to you today, uh, talking through everything from getting involved in the show, working on some of, um, you know, the most iconic episodes of Third Watch. A lot talked here about uh, 9-11 and kind of the uh, storylines that had to change and I guess the episodes that had to change after that event and some great Really insightful behind-the-scenes stuff of what happened there. Uh, get the opportunity, of course, to speak to Guy here about my favourite episode, After Hours, and uh, a bit of a twist on After Hours. There's actually, as much as I've seen that episode, uh, he gave some insight into how to watch this episode to uh, hear some clues, and it's very fascinating, actually, for those who uh, know the episode I'm talking about and kind of what happens with it. And, uh, yeah, I even have to bring up an episode which is kind of the opposite of After Hours, maybe my least favourite episode of Third Watch, to which he was the director of. But uh, a lot talked about in this episode. It's a lot of fun and very insightful, great behind-the-scenes stuff here. All fans of Third Watch are going to enjoy this one. Here is our chat with Guy Norman B. It is a massive, massive pleasure to be able to welcome our next guest to the show as we uh, bring you a series of interviews with the three main shows that we are covering here on the Oz Network. Of course, the one that I get very much excited for is Third Watch. I still stand by it that this is the greatest television show ever made. And uh, the next guest on the show, uh, very heavily involved in this program through working as a cameraman, through working as a director, through working as a co-producer. This man has been on plenty of these episodes and actually helmed some of, I think, the best episodes ever of this show. And outside of Third Watch, he's been involved in a myriad of other movies and TV shows across the years. I I advertise him as the legendary television director. I think he liked that on social media. So I will start by saying, welcome to the Oz Network, the legendary Guy Norman B. Guy, welcome to the show today. Oh, gosh, thanks for having me, but I think legendary is way, way too much. Uh, I just try and stay busy and keep working. <laughs> but that, I guess that, that, that that's hard to translate, and legendary is an easier, quicker way to... Anyway. It works. Uh, well, thanks for having me, Ben. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> well, it's, it's a pleasure because, um, I mean, you and I are having a great conversation off air. I felt like we should have been recording that. But um, the thing that I think is really fascinating, and I kind of mentioned a little bit to this off air views, like since we've started doing this, we've found some great fans out there, people really discussing discussing their memories of Third Watch and kind of looking at your social media and kind of your communication with the fans out there, you're you're very fond of this show too because, I mean, as I said, you're you know known, I guess, for a director. You've done plenty of things, but this is a show. This is your very first show that you ever directed, isn't it? So I guess you've kind of got a real close personal connection to the show of Third Watch. Yeah, I mean, I, I lost my virginity, director virginity on this show in uh, <laughs> December of 99, um, yeah, I mean, I go back, I, like you and I were chatting, I, I was the camera operator on the first two seasons of ER and got very friendly with John Wells and Chris Chulak and, and, you know, they knew I wanted to direct at some point. 
and you know physically and mentally I probably wasn't ready then that was like 94 to 96 um, and I went off and saw the world a little bit but they would always call me and say hey we're doing you know second unit kind of Chicago unit and you know you want to come to Chicago and do some ER stuff and just over drinks and dinner we you know we kind of made a deal that if there's a show in the future that they you know start from the ground you know from the genesis that they would call me up and, and say let's do it so I think we did one in 98 that didn't go anywhere and then 99, I got a call from John or John, you know, or Chris, and they said, hey, we're doing two. We're doing um, one in L.A. That's basically the, the, the story of the people that work around and for the president in the West Wing of the White House. And uh, written by Aaron Sorkin, who, you know, obviously <laughs> big, you know, everyone yes. was, anybody was a fan of um, A Few Good Men, et cetera. Um, and then we're doing this other one. It's about cops, firemen, paramedics on the streets of New York City. And I was like, wait, that one's in New York City, and then the other one's in L.A. And I live in L.A., so being a glutton for punishment, I said, um, and I'd always heard growing up that if you could spend a year of your life in New York City and just walk and take cabs and subways everywhere, do it. So um, obviously the West Wing script was brilliantly written, awesome. But it was a writer's producer, uh, writer's actor show. Um but then, you know, I read the pilot for Third Watch, which was called, I think, Welcome to, I think it was called Camelot. Welcome to Camelot. The working title. And then Welcome to Camelot was the title of the pilot. Um, and then you guys, I'm sure you know that it was because it was the the mythical uh, police precinct and fire station were at the corner of King and Arthur. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that, uh, for those that didn't know that, that was some good trivia right there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so I read the Third Watch pilot, and I, you know, the, the, opening is Bosco chasing this kid and for, for graffitiing, you know, Bosco's a dick or whatever on the side of the car. And there's, there's docs, you know, catching babies out of burning buildings and there's shootouts. And I just knew it was more my speed. And, and even though, you know, again, West Wing was brilliantly written and I would have been able to stay home. I, uh, and, and also Chris Tulak was at the time a, a real mentor and he was directing the pilot. He really wanted me to do the one in New York. So of course the rest is history. And then yeah. we made the deal that if I go and if I go and do the pilot in like the first 12, they'll let me direct, um, one of the first 12. And so it just worked out that, um, that I did, you know, the, the one right before Christmas. But the nice thing is we knew that we had been picked up for the back nine. So we knew we were going to do 22 before I even start prepping 13, and of course, I said, "Hey, if I do half decent on this one, would you guys give me another one in the back nine? And they said, "Well, all right, kid, let's see how you do on the first one." So, uh, first one was uh, what Band of Brothers? Yeah, this Band of Brothers. Yeah. yeah, it was great. It worked out nice because it was a big February sweeps episode, and it was written by John Wells. So the pressure was on for for me. And uh, I joke around because the way it scheduled out, the first four days of shooting were up until the Christmas break, and then we all, we had like a two- or three-week Christmas break. And then the the last four days were after the new year, and it was right around the millennium, you know, all that um, Y2K stuff, 99 mm-hmm. into 2000. So we couldn't shoot any gun stuff on the streets until after 2000 because the NYPD just said, you know, could you guys do us a courtesy because, you know, people are very on edge and jittery. So can you shoot everything that doesn't require any gunfire in 99 and the gunfire stuff in 2000. Of course, we had a ton of it. So it was tricky to schedule it all out, but, you know, that's what you do. You go, okay, we're going to go right to this point, then we'll cut, and then in three weeks we'll come back in the new year and we'll shoot the extension of this where, you know, we blow out the front window with the shotgun or whatever. Wow. And I also, I also joke around and say, it was enough time to, like, look at the four days' worth of dailies that I shot before the new year 
go away on Christmas break, decide I want to kill myself and I don't have to show up for the next four days. But it, you know, it kind of it kind of <laughs> worked out nice, and um, I was real happy. And uh, you know, again, good script, and you know, my crew was was behind me a thousand percent because you know we had just spent what eleven episodes together when I started prepping during episode twelve. So everybody knew I was going to get my shot to do my first episode and so i had a ton of support it was it was great you know the cast and crew were, were behind me a, th- a thousand percent like i say and so um had a good vibe to it so that was that was band of brothers and that was that was 18 years ago yeah that was i mean what an episode to start off with like with the amount of action that you're talking about there because um you know we, we're sort of at least at the time of recording this we are done with the first three seasons and um we're slowly releasing through season two at the moment, but I mean, I'm a mad, mad fan of season two. I think it's just one of the best seasons of television that has ever been, and I'm biased, but I just, <laughs> I absolutely love it. But the thing we notice about season two compared to say season one is season one had a lot more action, whereas season two I think was more character based, not as much action. But that band, of, this band of brothers, so heavily based on that action. So for you to kind of get thrown into the director's chair when you've got gunfights, you've got as you said windows getting blown out, the foot chases through all the buildings. I mean, we we commented right. so heavily in that episode about how beautifully it was shot through those chases. So I mean, wow, that is a great episode to get started to lose your virginity on there, guy. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it was, it was cool because we had like real good tech advisors, New York's, you know, one guy, Michael Keenan in particular. Um, you know, who would say, you know, the way a lot of times the way we'll know where to look for a bad guy hiding is watching more of the dogs barking. The, you know, and so we said we got to we got to we got to replicate that. I said, what if we and and so how can you do that and, and make it kind of work? So I go, what if we put the dog up on a balcony and the dog is looking? Ser- you know, of course it's the trainer, but he's barking his head off at the trainer, and then they realize, oh yeah, he's behind the pool, the little you know, the, and it's you know it's the winter, so the thing is covered up with a tarp, and so. It's nice to sit in these meetings with tech advisors, and I'm a real stickler for getting it exactly the way it should be, you know, technically correct. So, um, so you know, we got a lot of great ideas that weren't necessarily in the script, but, you know, you, you, as you're shooting, you go, this is where we're going to do this. And we found a great set of backyards that we could control, and, the you know, the neighbors and the people that live there were happy to have us. And we didn't we didn't stay out and you know make noise too late into the night so they were happy to have us mm. thank god <laughs> thank god for that but yeah it's fascinating kind of what you're saying there though about that whole sort of um the ruling around the new millennium because we're sort of, as I said, kind of into the third season and we were talking a lot about kind of, you know, I can imagine post 9-11 there was um, the yeah. the diner explosion scene and we spoke recently to Amy Carlson about kind of the amount of warnings and kind of things you would have had to put out to the residents. Like, hey, this is, we're filming a show here because I could imagine how obviously On Edge New York would have been post 9-11 and we'll talk about that after but that's i didn't realize that was a thing around the the new millennium what was it the nypd just afraid that people were that panicky about y2k that they didn't want to kind of put people on edge with unnecessarily gunfire or things like that yeah i mean maybe nothing would have been a big deal but they just said you know that's the only request we have i mean you know if you guys could and you know of course you know because we need their cooperation and they and they were great to us i mean they would we had like a couple guys that were just assigned us whenever we shot on the streets. We had like the, you know these usual suspects that were the same, like because NYPD has a film TV unit that, that they assign, so we get the same guys every time. And so they were like family, so that you know when they make a request like that, we're like, of course we can. I mean, of course it made it a little more difficult to shoot because you had to you couldn't finish a scene. You had to go right to a certain point, and we knew okay we'll do the rest of it in January. But it was uh, you know it was a small price to pay to to you know keep them. Um, 
you know, on our side because, you know, going forward we need them for, for the other, you know, however many episodes we were going to do at that point we didn't know. So, mm. um, yeah, because cause I'm trying to think. Yeah, because nine eleven happened during the third season. I think. Yeah, it was sort of. It was basically. Yeah. I think you were maybe what a few weeks away from premiere date or something, and then it it happened, and yeah. um, which which is fascinating. I mean, because we I guess we're discussing about that point, and we kind of were basing it on the production codes at least that. Um, the way episodes would have been shot, I'm no doubting that you would have had, you would have filmed what you thought would have been the premiere episode, only to then obviously yeah. have to quickly go, shit, we need to quickly change this around because of what happened. Because 9-11 happens, it's completely unavoidable that you have to include this somehow for Third Watch, given oh, yeah. what the subject matter of the show is. So, I mean, I can imagine that would have been like, wow, what the hell do we do here? Well, yeah, I mean, look, the, the whole point was this is a show about the, these underpaid, overworked, unsung heroes that, you know, will walk, will dive into a burning building while everybody's, you know, screaming and, and exiting. And these guys that walk into these situations and, you know, they don't, they get paid well, but not, not, well, they get paid, but not well hmm. to do this. But, you know, this is, this is the public servants. And so, we just spent two entire seasons banging that drum about how these are the you know the most amazing people in the world and NYPD and F you know FD and NY and to ignore that would be silly. So I mean it all kind of I remember you know we were we were prepping a show and um, it happened and then we all kind of went into okay you know obviously we're not we're not going to shoot but we all went kind of in, into what can we do what do we do and so because we the, the tech advisors were um, in touch with us, they said, "Here's what we need. Can you guys grab one of your vans?" I mean, there was a couple things. It's like the, these guys, de- like, because what would happen is civilians would go down there, and then they there was a rumor going around that if you leave, you will not be let back in. So a lot of the like the, the real New Yorkers were like, "Well, I'm not leaving. I'll just go sleep somewhere," because they wanted to get in these bucket brigades. So we heard that that they desperately needed gloves, socks, um water um hot, hot food so we got we arranged to get our catering trucks down there we brought we emptied we pulled the seats out of these 15 passenger vans and we just filled them with you know went to our like prop lockups and wardrobe and just filled them and you know we all wore our, our third watch hats and so you know they knew that we were kind of official but you know, none of us were were real law enforcement but we got some amazing access i mean the afternoon of the 13th right so a little over two days after it happened um we went down there like a bunch of us and it was, it was, it was surreal. And mm. my, my, I, 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 a little bit of a regret is that I didn't take any pictures cause I saw stuff that, um, would have been like draw dropping. But I guess at the time I just thought this is, um, this is not, this is potentially a, a huge graveyard and I can't, I think it's just dis- disrespectful. And there was, you know, nobody was in any kind of mood to, be, have their picture taken so um but i got involved and then at a certain point i just you know there was just we kind of did everything we could and i remember walking back from you know you know lower manhattan back to my apartment which was just like 14th street and first avenue just you know trying to hold back some tears because i mean you know it was like the most amazing heavy thing you could ever experience and what was going through my my mind is i shouldn't be here i shouldn't be here i have no business being here but also at the same time i'm going there's no other place on the planet i should be right now i i'm willing and able and you know able bodied and I, there's certainly something i can do to help 
so we kind of did everything we did. I was there for about seven or eight hours, and then like some sometime in the middle of the night, I just walked back. But I couldn't get it, nobody could get a flight out, and so I had to wait for about six or seven days, and then um, I think I got out through Newark. I just I literally just I didn't bring any clothes or anything. I just took, you know took a cab to the airport because that's the soonest they could get me out. Went back to L.A. and we kind of regrouped, and then I uh, got a call from Chris Tulak saying, hey, there's a script being couriered to your house right now. It's called September 10th. John Wells just wrote it. Read it and uh, get on a plane tomorrow back to New York. And so that was September 10th. That was the script. Um, incredible script. I mean, the fact that he wrote that in a couple of days is just amazing. Yeah. Um, and you directed that was, episode, of course, too, didn't you? Yeah, well, that was the thing. It was like, get back there. You know, it was it was it was weird because a lot of, a lot of the conversations we were having on the phone is we can't just start going into people's neighborhoods and saying you can't park here because we're going to park our forty foot makeup trailer here. It's just disrespectful. This this you know this the city just went through the most you know traumatic thing in the world, and we're going to have the guts or the balls to go back and tell people you know. But at the same time, it's like we have a we have a responsibility to kind of do. And so that was the other thing. At the same time, they decided they were going to make the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same, kind of concurrently, um, because we had to, you know, we had to do something like that, and so, you know, it was it was interesting. We shot, you know, a couple days in um, Atlantic City. I think Skip and Kobe and I, um, we scouted. We took a helicopter there and kind of scouted, flew back, and then Skip and Kobe and I, um, we, you know, the crew drove down there and we took a helicopter because those guys were doing their interviews, and I kind of waited for them to. to uh, we all flew down there together. To Atlantic City, so we, you know, we were able to shoot some of it away from the city. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was nice to have that responsibility of, of you know, have draw, kind of being the director that got to do that episode. But also, you know, not the pressure of you know, don't make this, don't screw this up, don't make it, because I mean, you know, you don't want to be the one that that direction episode that was disrespectful to probably you know one of the biggest tragedies that ever happened on the planet so um i think you know it was a ton of work and we all got through it and ultimately again it's it's one of my favorite episodes it's uh it's got some scary stuff in it was handled so well and i mean we were sort of commenting thinking and i i'll be honest with you i didn't sort of see a whole lot of the other kind of you know fictional shows that dealt with 9-11 but i mean I would be hard-pressed to say any other show dealt with it better. I guess the West Wing obviously dealt with it in their own way as well. But, um, you know, I mean, I guess as we kept saying Third Watch, it was kind of unavoidable that you had to address it. But how much... Because, I mean, the relay, I'm assuming, was meant to be the premiere episode of Season 3. Obviously, that had to get pushed back and with everything that happened with 9-11. How much did 9-11 change the overall... I guess, story arcs of the third season because it obviously plays such a key fact into a lot of what happens with these characters moving forward. We see what happens with Doc's character later on. You know, Bosco has his breakdown in season three, all this kind of stuff that is based around 9-11. Was there a direction with, like, what, you know, John and Chris and Ed and all that was kind of, you know, planning on doing with with the characters? Was there much change because of 9-11 and the storylines? I don't, you know, I don't think so. I think it was another opportunity to address, you know, to... Because nobody could have predicted <laughs> that this was going to happen, so I think we just and and the whole right, you know, Ed and 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 John just kind of went with what felt natural based on you know from September 10th that episode on um, the relay. That was I'm trying to remember where that aired. 
It was episode four. To- so it was, it was the one that came after September. So you had, uh, in their own words, September 10th, then after time. And then that kind of became the fourth episode as opposed, I guess, to yeah, the first that- episode. Yeah, we would have, we probably shot that before 9-11. I, and that was an interesting one because that was written over a weekend. I think Ed and Scott Williams wrote that over a weekend because I was up to direct that one. And the, the, the what we wanted to do was there was this, fa- and it's on YouTube, there's this famous video of in Israel of these uh, people having a, dancing at a wedding. And they're dancing around, they're dancing around, all of a sudden the entire floor drops like four floors. Mm-hmm. The whole floor like gives way. So we wanted to do the ver- our version of that, and uh, so that was that was what was g- supposed to be written, and we started getting estimates from special effects and visual effects, and they were like, well, you know, if you did it with a green screen, anyway, it turned out to be like, I don't know the dollar figure, but it was like double what we normally spend on special effects. So we kind of, you know, as a group, I mean, I didn't really have much say in it, but they, the, the, the producer said, well, we can't do that, we got to do something different. So over the weekend, Scott and Ed got together and churned out the relay, which turned out again to be one of my absolute favorite episodes, um, with the with the that that orange uh, organ donor box kind of being the you know the MacGuffin. It was very uh, you know it was like a classic cinema device where you have this box mm-hmm. you know that has to go from point A to point B, and um, I remember that that being a real fun episode to shoot. Yeah, it was a great great yeah, episode. Yeah, we probably. Sh- yeah, we probably shot that before 9-11. Well, that's what we... Sh- yeah, because it was kind of... That was the assumption that we're making, because I think, from memory, there are a few kind of scenes that I felt maybe would have had to be added because they mentioned 9-11 or something like that. But, um, I mean, because I can imagine maybe, with yeah. pr- production schedules and kind of, you know, planning for the premiere date and everything, because, I mean, at the end of the day, what, September 10th, that aired uh, October 22nd, so barely a month after 9-11. So... I yeah. mean, I'm not sure if what's the general turnaround for a for an episode between like production and filming and getting it edited. I, I mean, I can imagine it's usually a bit longer than about five weeks. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the the tightest is usually from the last day of photography till it airs is is three weeks. That's that's like all hands on deck. You know, get it get it in the edit because you know you got visual effects and special you know sound effects and all that stuff and the mix and all that. And, so it was that was a really tight one, but but um, I don't think we had a ton of visual effects or, or sound effects. I mean, I mean or uh, anything too particularly, you know, that we had to uh, that had to be created. Um, we didn't do many visual effects at all on that show. Every once in a while, we do a green screen thing. I remember there was the big deal was we they flew a um, guy from L.A. to oversee the visual effects. That was one episode where it would have been in the the first part of the first season where um, Bosco grabs a jumper. Mm-hmm. And then the jumper falls, and, and as the guy splats, Bosco goes, "Oops." Yep, yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was the, we put a green screen down, like on a pad, like ten feet, you know, below. So if the guy did drop, and I guess he did, um, he'd go into the pad. But the green screen was obviously replaced by, you know, an, a, you know, twenty-story kind of plate that we got probably somewhere else. Wow. But we didn't do a ton of visual effects on that show, which was great. It was all kind of in camera, and we had an amazing. Um, Special effects guys like all those bomb, you know, explosions and you know, gunfire and squibs and all that. Um, Conrad Brink was was our guy and um, great team. You know, just the guy. They you know they get everything in one take. I mean, you know, in TV we're moving so fast, it's so refreshing to go. Okay, well that didn't work. Let's try it again. And okay, I'll see you in an hour. And 
everybody grabs a cup of coffee. No, we were, we always move quick on that show. Wow, wow. The one, the one. I want to backtrack quickly to season two because my favorite episode of all time. And I think it's the best episode of Third Watch. And again, I'm going to say it right now, guy. One of the best episodes of TV. Underrated Third Watch, as you can imagine. I'm saying here. Um, and you directed this after hours. Just. An amazing oh. episode. I mean, the experience of working on that, because this is, I guess, what makes that episode unique is that this is just the crew hanging out after hours. They've obviously had the tragic call yeah. and they're dealing with their own way. But that must have just been a, a different sort of episode to be able to be involved in, given that you're kind of doing more of the, you know, the characters here rather than the, the scenes. But it was just so effective, that right. episode. Such a great episode. Yeah, that was, and Ed Bernera and I just talked about that recently because his daughter, Amanda, is one of the kids. Um, she was just starting kind of her acting career. She was real green, but she did a great job. All the all the my actors did really great on that. In fact, the the, the main uh, I think her name Susan May Pratt. Um, all these years later, the main the main like girl that that confronts those guys at the diner mm-hmm. and they take her home. Doc and and um, and Yokus. Um, anyway, Susan is married to a really good friend of mine, Ken Mitchell. And Ken's uh, he's on the new um, Star Trek. But I did. Um, he was one of the regulars on Jericho, sweetheart of a guy. But it's it's pure coincidence that all those years later, those you know two actor friends of mine got married. But um, it was always one of those those episodes where because it, and I believe it's the only episode where there's some supernatural elements to mm. it because basically and we sh- we shot it and they, we didn't put it in. The last scene of the movie is um, you we we make it very clear that that um, they're ghosts. Um, spoiler alert! Even though it aired 15 years ago, but anyway, um, we made, we we did a scene where I can't remember how we did it, but it wasn't even a scene because at the very end of it, they're out at Coney Island and they're all standing around the fire. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know what it was. All our guys are standing around a fire, and we did like a big crane shot. And as we drop down, we uh, we're over the shoulders of all the kids. Right. So it's in other words, the go the ghost kids are watching our. Our guys around the the you know the, the the fire that they built on the beach, but we cut it out. Mm. I think they might have used part of the crane shot, but it was I believe in the in the lexicon all whatever 134 episodes. It's the only one that had a supernatural element to it because those kids are clearly ghosts, and, and you know it's a twist ending you find out at the end. But what was fun about that is if you watch it again, whenever there's an introduction of one of the kids to our group, there's and I stole this from. Um, it's a wonderful life. There's a, some kind of bell rings, oh. and if you notice, um, so you have that audio cue, and there's also every time we introduce one of the kids, there's some kind of um, like a halo around them. Like I know Susan when she shows up in the diner, we had like just one like maybe nine inch long strip of um, neon that we placed on the wall that was supposed to be like the top of a, a letter or something, but it, it's it's placed in a way that looks like a halo. Interesting. Um, yeah, so watch it again and look for whatever we introduce the kids. There's some kind of visual and audio clip uh, cue I that will. lets you know. Wow. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was fun to kind of design that stuff, and then, you know, you have these crazy ideas and prep, and then everybody kind of, you know, you have your prop meeting and your special effects meeting, and everyone goes, hey, I got an idea. How about this? And so it becomes very, like, you know, everybody gets into your your, your madness and, starts throwing out ideas of ways to, you know, kind of tell, you know, without without knocking the audience over the head. But hey, this is these are ghosts. Um, but yeah, I believe that was the only one that had like a, a supernatural element to it. Yeah, all the episodes. Yeah, I mean, I think 
in one of the later ones with yeah. Cruz with her sister, she saw like a vision of her sister when she's out. I and mean, obviously there's those ones where what ties it by and Davis is seeing like a vision of his father. But I mean, I, I know what you yeah. sort of, yeah, like obviously kind of yeah, yeah. overall yeah. element uh, yeah. of supernatural. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and, and, and I have, you know, it's got to be great to sit and watch watch these episodes again before I did this, but... Um, when was the last time you did also, watch you know, it? I, Guy, I'd interrupt you there quickly. Do you, I mean, I guess you've done so many shows over the years that you can't exactly watch them all every single day of the week. You've got to work as well, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm just looking on my shelf here. I mean, I have the DVDs of, you know, every... every Obviously, the two... I believe only two seasons are out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a bunch of stuff on VHS that's going back a ways. But I haven't, I haven't looked... I mean, obviously, the, the ones that aired in the season three and four I haven't seen probably since they aired... Um, and then, and then I kind of le- left and went on to just do other stuff through the last couple seasons. And though I'm friends with Tia, I never directed her. Um, Nia Long, I never directed on any of the shows. Um, Josh, Josh Stewart, we're friends, but only because we have that connection. But um, yeah, so season five and six, I didn't really have much to do with. I just started getting busy on stuff in LA, and I never made it back. And um, but, you know, again, it's so great that all these years later we're, we all kind of keep in touch and hang out and have lunch and um, got an invitation to a big block party at the at the Rui Vivar's this Christmas. I couldn't go, but it was kind of fun to go, hey, Andy, yeah. Andy and Yvonne. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> well, you were, obviously, you were mentioning to me off air about, you know, obviously um, sort of you're still good friends with Jason Wiles. Obviously, you, you mentioned yep. uh, that you kind of worked with him many years beforehand. And, I mean, what the thing that I really always give props to the show as well is, and it's to me, it's it's the ER sort of connection coming from ER, uh, that just the great... The the writing is so tight, the characters, and just the, the chemistry between these actors as well, which I can imagine as a director makes it so much easier. I mean, how I, I would be intrigued to know, like, scenes, like, example, we've got a Yokus and Bosco scene in the car. They're obviously, you know, okay. you know reading lines, but it just feels so natural. Is it any point of them reading those lines that is ad-libbed? Because to me, just sometimes it's so natural, I just don't even believe they're reading from a script at any point. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a little bit of of ad libbing, um, but but uh, generally it was it was mostly scripted. Um, at least you know the majority of the dialogue. Because I mean, hey, look, if 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 somebody throws in a good ad libbed line, um, we're going to use it in the cut because you just go, well, cl- clearly this feels good and natural, and and you know, and obviously you're responding to that. Um, so uh, you know, again, I just it's hard to remember, but I think. Um, I think most of it, you know, definitely the the broad strokes were always scripted, and then um, there might be something that that one of them threw in. Like a lot of times, you know, when they, if we have like a seven o'clock call, the actors get there at like six to go to the hair and makeup trailer, so they'll run their lines in the hair and makeup trailer together, and then you know we'll, we'll block it out. So a lot of times they've already like, you know, I know you know um, Skip and Kobe would would were famous for that. They'd have like a nice pattern down before we even started rehearsing. Which was, you know, always refreshing. And those guys were so good together. Um, but there was, I mean, honestly, like you know, Jason and Molly were got to be really good friends. Skip and Kobe from the pilot on were just best buddies. Um, so it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, and you know, the other cool thing was that Kim and and Bobby were um, very friendly before the the show. They were on a, a John Wells show the year before called Trinity that got canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were the first two to get can- uh, cast, and that's that's the, that's why they got to keep their names because in the as a placeholder when they wrote the pilot, 
they kept saying Kim and Bob, you know, the actor, you know, Kim Raver and Bobby Cannavale, those, they're going to be Kim, uh, uh, just put Kim, just put Bobby. <laughs> so they were cast before anybody, just because, uh, you know, John had really liked what they did in, in um, Trinity, and, you know, they were local New York actors that were, um, you know, right on the verge of big stuff. Um, cool. so yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. I think a lot of it was, was um, you know, just, just that they were co- very comfortable with each other, and then we, as directors, I think we were allowed to kind of, you know, if it works, do it. You know, our, our the policy is always get one on book, get get do the lines like they're scripted, just in case there's a um, studio or network executive who fell in love with that line and they're like, well, how come you guys didn't shoot that? That's what we agreed to do. You never want to do that. Mm-hmm. So we'd always get one on book, but then then that leaves you room to, to improvise, and I think we we did good with that. Yeah, just it's just it maybe just ultimately comes down to the chemistry because it's just it's just so damn natural and like. Um, one show that I know we briefly talked about off air that's kind of just started, at least at the time of recording this, which is essentially Ryan Murphy's version of Third Watch set in LA, uh, 911, right. which, I mean, look, it's only just started, it's okay, but I think the real difference between watching 911 now and Third Watch, you know, the first five episodes back in 99 was just, you just can't compare them because it's just the chemistry and the feel of these actors and just how it is compared to 911 to me feeling very forced. And I don't know if that just comes down to different people involved or different era. I mean, it's nearly 20 years later, so I guess TV's obviously yeah. changed. I don't know. I, I don't know how you can kind of compare the two because they're the same sort of content in many ways, but they just feel like very different right. shows. Yeah, and, and, and um, like there's the three Chicago shows, PD, Fire medical mm-hmm. and you know they're kind of they're kind of doing sort of the same things that we did i mean obviously updated because that you know the the we again 99 to 2005 or whatever was was the run of of third watch um it's tough to tough to do anything 100% original um but uh yeah i mean obviously that's why shows like all those kind of procedural cop um fireman paramedic even lawyer shows they do well because it's you know, most of us have pretty mundane, boring jobs or lives, and we don't deal with death and murder and, and shooting and blood and all this stuff on a daily basis. That's why those shows do well, because it's we're always interested in, it, in what that world is like. Um, and some people choose to get into those professions because they're kind of fascinated by, you know, being a public servant or, or you know, saving lives. But uh, by and large, most of us don't have that kind of exposure to that on a daily basis. And, you know, again, those shows do well because of that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, 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 it's well-worn territory because way before Third Watch, there was Cops and Firemen and, you know, Hill Street Blues and St. Elsewhere were shows that I, I certainly liked, you know, growing up. And, um, you know, you just kind of keep going down the same paths and, you know, just try and make it, I mean, again, I don't, I'm not a writer, so... But I imagine you know you, you got to kind of take the same stories and twist them and make them contemporary or make them more interesting or add some kind of cool um, you know twist that makes it you know a little more original than the original you know, what you originally kind of saw on on a, on a show that preceded mm. what you're doing. Yeah. Tough, tough. It's hard to do. Yeah, really no, I do. can, I can definitely, definitely imagine. Guy, we're we're gonna have to get you back on, I think, at some point because there's so much okay. we can cover and talk. Uh, before <laughs> before I let you go though, because I mean, one thing I'll say is we will definitely do this again because I mean, I got right. listener questions, I got people questioning, all this sort of stuff. But um, 
as much as I love Third Watch, as much as I told you I love After Hours, my favourite episode, you've really directed some of my favourite episodes of the show. I just want to quickly point out, and I'll, I'll give you like two minutes to try and defend this for me, because we haven't watched it yet, but I'm not a fan of Snowblind. It might be one of my least favourite episodes of Third Watch. Um, yeah. Can you give me any yeah, redeeming remember, qualities remember, with Snowblind? <laughs> I don't. I just remember that you know, we had a ton of stuff to do with the kids getting trapped in the car. <laughs> Um, I remember the young actor that played like the boyfriend, Yokus, you know, that, that, that befriends and, and becomes the boyfriend of Yokus's daughter was a um, really great young actor. Um, I don't remember too much about it now. Um, That's a good thing. But we, you know, we had to create all that snow <laughs> and the snow drifts. And, um, again, our special effects guys were incredible because we created huge snowstorms on these long, like city blocks in Brooklyn, or maybe that was Long Island City, Queens. Um, but I don't remember a ton about it. I just remember that was the one where they couldn't find Emily and she yep. was passed overdosed. out in the car, <laughs> overdosed, right. Um, yeah, well, yeah, because we talked a little bit about Duty, which was one of my favorites. Good episode. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, I can't remember... That's a one. good <laughs> thing. That's a good thing. I'm going to say that's a good that you can't remember it because it's one well, of these you know, ones that we haven't gotten to yet, and I'm kind of dreading having okay, to cover yeah, make it. A, <laughs> yeah, make make a list and we'll get to it. No, but the other thing is you got to remember as a director, I don't write yeah. the episodes, but I you know hopefully have some kind of influence when we get into prep and you know can you can I, you know do the old politically correct. Is there any value in? her being here instead of there, or can we move this to the interior? Can I make it a steady cam walk and talk instead of a you know mounting the cameras on the car so so there's there's definitely um things i can do but but i can't change wholesale like storylines and plus as a freelance episodic director you kind of come into a moving train that so you have to continue storylines and i don't know what the continuing storylines were um that you know the you know the b and c story on on snowblind um, it's not important. There, it's yeah. Look, <laughs> look, I'm I'm seeing here. Scott Williams wrote that one, so I'll save all my um, you know uh, negativity for him if we ever get him on the show. But uh... yeah, oh, Scott's <laughs> the best. He, uh, Scott Scott will definitely come on your podcast. He okay. him and I meet for lunch every He's been on NCIS for years now, and um, but he's such a lovely guy, and um, he's 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 one of the good ones. Yeah, well, I'll uh, I'll hip him to you guys, and, and we'll get we'll get him on your podcast. T- t- sure. Tell him that we'll talk to him not just about the negative stuff. Like I'm, I'm sure, like we can talk to him about other episodes that weren't snowblind. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> deal, <laughs> guy. It's a pleasure, mate. As I said, we'll have to get you back on again because uh, plenty more to talk yeah. about. But we really do appreciate your time here and uh, going down this memory lane with us because it's a lot of fun to talk about Third Watch and uh, everything else in between. And we'll obviously have to talk about that sort of uh, stuff next time. But we appreciate your time here on the Oz Network today. All right, thanks, Ben. It was it was a, it was a gas. And let me know when when this is going to be up, and uh, we can listen to it, and uh, I'll uh, promote it on uh, all the various social media platforms. And an absolute honour to speak to Guy. And yes, we will be getting him on the show, no question about that, at some point in the future, uh, because we barely scratched the surface, I feel, uh, with everything. And can I just say, too, we got a bunch of listener questions that were sent in to us, and we did not ignore them. Uh, we do, I have them all right here in front of me. I'm staring at them as we speak. Uh, the fact that uh, we got a lot of these sent in. So, 
Um, we will be getting Guy on the show again at some point. I will be able to uh, post these questions to him that you have sent to me uh, because there has been a lot of people who have been uh, wanting to get in contact with Guy and ask him some questions about Third Watch, not just Third Watch 2, uh, a lot of the other shows that he has directed uh, and been involved with. So uh, for those wondering why we didn't ask questions today, uh, as I said, we are going to get him back on again and put those to him. So to Guy, thank you so much for his time on the show and uh, we look forward to being able to chat to him again because there's so much, so much there that uh, we can definitely talk about um, and really just fascinating. It's great behind-the-scenes stuff that uh, basically came about um, through uh, this interview and uh, through all the other ones that we've got. And for those who are fans of Third Watch, of course, our episodes air on Wednesdays. Uh, those uh, want to be able to hear those. Um, and we have other interviews, of course, in the past that we've put up uh, that are still all available via our website. And, of course, if you subscribe and go through our social media channels. And we've got some other ones planned as well. Uh, some big ones hopefully lined up for you. So stay tuned for that. And if you're not a Third Watch fan and you've enjoyed this interview anyway, and perhaps you're one of our uh, Lost or Nip Tuck listeners, other interviews, of course, coming across with those as well from actors and people involved with all the shows, just stay tuned to our social media pages. We'll advertise who we've got and we'll uh, be able to post up too in regards to uh, questions potentially that you can send in. So uh, by all means, keep an eye out on everything there as uh, we bring you interviews, episodes, and everything else in between. It is obviously a lot of fun being able to bring this content to you, and we hope that you are enjoying it. If you are enjoying it, we uh, definitely would appreciate uh, a bit of feedback, a bit of love. If you want to jump onto iTunes, rate us, give us a score out of five, leave us some feedback. We'd very much appreciate that. Also on Spotify, Stitcher, we're there as well. If you are on social media, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or on Instagram, or on YouTube, and you can stay up to date with uh, everything that we put out there for you. And, uh, yeah, we, we see all your messages, we see all your comments, we respond pretty much to all of them. Uh, so we definitely appreciate all the support you guys are giving us. We're loving bringing this content and we hope that you are enjoying it along the way. Uh, can I just point out once again, thanks to Guy Norman B. Just such an absolute honour and pleasure to be able to discuss all of this with him. And, uh, yeah. I'm just going to keep saying thank you because I'm buzzing after a great chat. My name is Ben. This has been the Oz Network. Thanks for tuning in to this today, and we will speak to you next time. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.